0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Hello again, this is Grant Handley. I'm founder and managing director of ROI Executive Search and we do retained executive search across the middle market globally. Today's the next step in our journey into the corner office, and I'm here to welcome Joel Penton. Joel's the founder and CEO of LifeWise Academy, a program that provides Bible education to public school students during school hours. Since its launch in 2019, LifeWise has quickly grown to serve more than 100 schools across the USA each week. Joel Penton, welcome into the corner office.
1: Brant, thank you so much for having me.
0: Ah, Great to have you here, and we spoke a couple of weeks ago, got to know each other a little bit, and were uh, introduced through a brother that uh, we both met, uh, or rather that I met when I was in Florida, and I know that you, know, you guys are working really closely together and want to hear all about life wise and all the great stuff that you're doing in public schools, but we kind of like to start in the beginning, and, and that's get to know our guests a little bit through their earlier years. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Yeah,
1: thank you, Brandt. Well, I'm from a small town in Northwest Ohio, a little community mm-hmm. called Van Wert, Ohio. And most people, they've never heard of it. They've never been there. Sometimes <laughs> they say they see signs for it on their way somewhere else. <laughs> right. But I grew up, I think, like most kids. I you know went to school. I ha- have three older sisters. So I was the okay. baby of the family. And God, God. Uh, A big part of my life was sports. I was a three sport athlete as a little kid, but my real love was football. I I just I couldn't believe they would allow us little kids to put on these flimsy little pads, run around as fast as we could, and then just slam into each other.
0: I thought (laughs) this is the dream come true. That's right. That's <laughs> well, right. We're going to talk about that. That led to, to quite a bit of involvement. And football, I know, has p- played a big role in uh, your career, certainly from a, a sports standpoint and, you know, the Ohio State University. But uh, so were you playing organized football at an early age as you get into Pop Warner? How did, how did you kind of enter that whole world?
1: Yep. At the age of nine is when I started playing. That's when you can start playing tackle football in my hometown and immediately yeah. fell in love for it, in, in love with it. And, and in many ways, I mean, football was what my life was really all about until I was a freshman in high school. And that's when I came to faith in Christ. And uh, then for several years, it was kind of faith and football is, yeah. um, at least from the outside looking in, what really dominated my life.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll get into that. What did mom and dad do?
1: Well, my dad was in the insurance business. There's an insurance okay. company in Van Wert called Central Mutual Insurance. And my mother was a school teacher. She taught math and uh, come from a pretty mathematically oriented family. I've got a sister that okay. majored in mathematics at the Naval Academy, another that had a scholarship for mathematics. Sounds pretty
0: boring to me, but, uh, <laughs> but that's, that's the family. Nice. I love it. And uh, small town farming community, more rural. Tell us a little bit about the town you grew up in.
1: Yeah, certainly a small town. It's surrounded by farms and it's in about the yeah. flattest part of the U S you can think of. I mean, as flat as a <laughs> pancake surrounded by farms, but a big enough town that, um, you know, we didn't farm and I was a part of the you know, city public school. And so we had farming kids driving in from the country to, to school, but I, I, I didn't necessarily. Our, our family didn't necessarily participate.
0: Now you mentioned you came to Christ uh, uh, as a teenager, or perhaps in high school. I wasn't sure exactly when. Did you grow up in a Christian family? So I, I did. In that, I grew up in a church-going family,
1: and in, yeah. I think in many ways our family was a culturally Christian family. We Mm. went to church each week. Um, There was a certain level of belief, but there was also a certain level of tradition and ritual, I think, in my church upbringing. But it was as a freshman in high school when I heard and understood the gospel message about who Mm. Jesus is, how he died for sin, how he rose from the dead. When I understood that, my life was changed.
0: Yeah. 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 Awesome. And, um, obviously football was a huge inspiration in your life. Any other kind of childhood things or coaches or teachers that really made a difference in things that you might've recalled from those earlier days?
1: Well, I think you're right in mentioning coaches. Um, well, I mean, my, the main influence in my life would be my parents and my father in particular is a, is a good man who, um, Taught me so many key principles that I use on a daily basis. Um, But coaches also were a big influence. It was in sport that I learned that most people don't know how much they can get out of themselves. And Mm. so Mm. playing football and wrestling and learning how to push yourself to the limits and that that's a good thing and that's a healthy thing and learning about discipline and so many coaches that instilled those things were a
0: big influence. And I think God kind of uh, unveils his gifts for us through those things, would you agree with that?
1: Well, there's no question. Um, yeah. I mean, it's in the, the experiences of life that you, yes, you start to see things come out of you when you're uh, squeezed, when you're pushed, Pushing where yourself. there's new yeah. opportunities that you say,
0: oh, well, I didn't realize
1: that was there, that, that, that gift that God had given me. Right,
0: right. Now, were, were football and faith a parallel path, or do they actually intersect for you in that freshman year?
1: well they intersected in as much as i realized when i came to faith uh, that i had been i had been framing football incorrectly football is what i mm-hmm. had really been living for and was kind of my god it was kind of an idol and mm-hmm. i yeah. then realized that it was a a good gift from god that was meant to glorify him and mm-hmm. that the opportunities football gave me were for the purpose of honoring God. And, um, and so when I, uh, understanding that and moving forward, uh, amidst in the midst of it, the Lord did open up doors of opportunity. And I had an opportunity to go and play football for the Ohio state university, yeah. the Buckeyes and, uh, use that as a platform to tell others about Christ.
0: You know, that's a sore point for us though, right? I, I, I shared with you that I was a university of Oregon grad and the only national <laughs> championship game I ever went to was how we got just absolutely trounced by Ohio State. But it was such an enjoyable experience. I think it was back in, you know, in 2015, something like that. I'm trying to remember when they played. It was down in, in Texas. But wow, what an outstanding organization. You know, OSU has just had so many unbelievable teams and, and great players. H- how did you come to go there? Was it a scholarship? Were you recruited? Because you you started obviously playing organized football at a very early age, did you ever think you'd play college ball or want to play pro ball? Tell us a little bit about your dreams and you know your plans on that side.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I always i think wanted to play college ball um ever since the day I started playing, but i didn't, I didn't yeah. necessarily think I had much of a chance because mm. a piece of my story, not many people know is I was pretty bad when I started. I remember trying out. <laughs> At the age of nine and being picked third from last out of 50 kids on the football field at tryouts, they would literally have all the kids sit down after tryouts and they'd pick them from the crowd. And so you got to see how good you were because you got to see how you when you you were picked. And so I was very unathletic, very uncoordinated, very slow, but I loved the game. And I surely thought, boy, if I ever have a chance to play college football, I'd love to do it. However, it wasn't until high school that really things started to come together. I was always a taller, kind of bigger guy, and I think that yeah. I, start, you know, I stopped growing so quickly, and so I got more coordinated. The uh, I was certainly working hard in the weight room, and so I was putting on the muscle, and uh, pretty rapidly um, started having success in terms of all conference, then all state, and then I did receive a scholarship uh, to go. Wow. Play football for Ohio State from Jim Tressel, who I believe is the greatest college football
0: coach of all time. Great coach, absolutely great coach. Oh, wow, that's awesome! So, be- rewind a little bit to high school. You mentioned both wrestling and football. Were there other events, other things that you you know pursued? You know, were you a good student? Did you do music or theater? Or, you know, get involved with your church. Tell us a little bit more about some of those things.
1: Yeah, well, I was involved in band. That was just a thing for our family. Everybody had an yeah. instrument, and so right. I Good. was Developing The creative a, side. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I was, uh, and you know, I have three older sisters, and so I'm. I'd like to think I'm well cultured, and that I know the words <laughs> to Broadway musicals <laughs> and, and whatnot. And so I, love it. I, I did percussion in the band uh, up until high school. At that point, it didn't quite mesh with football with the, the marching band, but I was always a leadership type of guy. And so I was class president uh, three of the four years in high wow. school and yeah. was involved in service clubs like the beta club. I don't know if any listeners remember or have heard of that club. Um, and then very involved in ministry when I, I came to faith and mm-hmm. as a freshman, and I knew right away that I wanted to immerse myself in any type of ministry where I could share The gospel with others. And so the fellowship of Christian athletes, my church youth group um, kind of became a leader there. And in fact, in high school began, uh, believe it or not, preaching to fill in for my pastor when he would go out of town. I would preach to our church. really, And then then in fact, word spread around my hometown that this high school kid was preaching and I found myself filling in for other pastors when they would go out of town. And ministry just really became... A uh, huge part of
0: my focus. Yeah. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about the challenges you might have had. I mean, you know, football, very masculine sports, tend to be, you know, guys that are involved, you know, very, very committed. Did you find, probably more so at Ohio State, I'm sure at your high school level, maybe it wasn't quite as pressureful, but was that a challenge to, you know, kind of keep your faith and yet still be involved in a very competitive? A, a very strong program or, or was it really kind of a natural fit for you during those four years at, at Ohio school? Well,
1: Be- well, believe it or not, it was in high school that I felt the most kind of pressure in those ways. I, I had a group of friends and I, in fact, I've, I spent some years traveling and speaking in schools and sharing a bit of this story that I had a group of friends that we were the athletes and we were committed to excelling in the athletic arena. And we were also committed to staying away from some of the destructive decisions of things like mm. partying, drinking, drugs, whatever it was. However, my junior year of high school, some of those things changed that my friends yeah. kind of one by one started getting mixed up with the it kind of party away. scene, drinking yeah. scene. And and it, I've, it was a very painful teenage experience, honestly, losing my closest group of friends uh, Mm. because I wouldn't go and and participate in those things with them um, because Mm -hmm. I I wanted to continue succeeding on the football field. But more than that, I wanted to be faithful and making the right decisions to honor Christ. And it was a painful experience and experienced some rejection. However, it very much served to prepare me for college because in some ways the temptations are much greater in college. There's more opportunity for good. There's also more opportunity uh, for destructive decisions. But after the experience in high school, I feel like I was prepared and it didn't, it didn't feel tempting at the time because I had been prepared and I was able to really immerse myself into uh, the best things
0: that Ohio state had to offer. Yeah. Yeah. What did you decide to study there?
1: You know, I studied strategic communications and that's because I, when I met with the advisor, I said, well, I think I'm going to go into Christian ministry. Do you have anything like that? And they said, no. um, But if you, (laughs) but if you plan to do a lot of speaking, maybe it's preaching or uh, that type of thing, maybe strategic communications is a good fit for you. So that's what Mm -hmm. I did. It kind of has a bent on um, public
0: relations and um, it's been useful in, in our ministry. And did Ohio State have an active, you know, Youth for Christ program? Were you involved in, you know, experiences there that allowed you to, you know, continue to associate with the type of people that you wanted to associate with, even though, you know, obviously you had your your football commitments?
1: Yes, it did. You know, the ministry there on campus, which is very prominent, is uh, Crew, at the time it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Right, and. Right. I yeah got very involved there. And, and a, a segment of crew is called Athletes in Action, specifically for the athletes. And so I was very involved in that from day one. In fact, that is where I met my wife. My wife oh. uh, was a gymnast for Ohio State. Oh, cool. And she and I met through Athletes in Action and got married while we were still in college, in fact.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And did you take some leadership responsibilities in some of those organizations as well? As well? Did you have time for it, being a full time football? Yeah. You know?
1: Yes, I I did. In the athletes in action, I was on the leadership team. Um, was the eventually the M, kind of MC for the meetings, and then Campus Crusade, I was. That's the larger group. And I was mostly there to just participate. But every year they would have one football week where the football players <laughs> led the meeting. And uh, cool. so I would often speak or be the MC for those meetings.
0: Yeah. Awesome. What was that first job you took out of college then, Joel?
1: Well, I got into ministry. And in fact, it was on yeah. staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, however, it was unique in that I had be, been speaking all through college. I did a lot of speaking in churches, and I knew I. I, I thought I wanted to go into full time speaking, and the the uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes director asked me, you know, what I wanted to do. I said speaking. He said, "What if we made a position for you in our ministry that you could just focus on speaking, but you'd be under our." Umbrella as a ministry, so you wouldn't have to worry about all the administrative side of things of yeah. like starting a business that type of thing. And so for the first few years, that's what I did, and it was out of that that we were able to then launch our first nonprofit.
0: Yeah, awesome. And some some good mentors along the way. Tell us about some of those relationships.
1: Yes. Well, again, coaches throughout college. Um, also had some had some really great professors and ministry leaders at the. Uh, athletes and action director when I got to Ohio State, a man named Brian Hawkins, Um, Uh incredible guy who really mentored, discipled me um, in my walk. And I went on a mission trip with him to East Asia um, and, and, you know, many others, but he in particular led by example,
0: showed me what it looks like to really be sold out for the Lord. Mm, Awesome. When was the first time you started leading and managing people?
1: Well, I guess leading in one sense, I, I started early on, as I mentioned in mm-hmm. high school, I was, uh, always running for class president or leading yeah, the FCA right. or that type of thing. Um, and so, the, and that always came very naturally to me. It was just, it felt like I was wired for that. It felt like I was, yeah. uh, wired to, I don't know, to, to be out, maybe it sounds self-centered, but to be out front or to be kind of leading the charge, it just felt natural. Um, right whether it was on a, a team or, or whatever it was. But then when I got into ministry and we launched our first ministry, I, I very quickly hired uh, someone to do some of the bookings for my speaking. And and so I was leading him. And then before long, our ministry grew and we started hiring and, and learned that, learned the big difference between leading and managing and found that while I'm a natural leader, the management kind of side of things isn't quite as natural for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. What what was the biggest challenge you had there?
1: Well, I think that i I am so goal driven mm. and so future oriented. Uh, my wife might even tell you that I have trouble. Uh, even, you know, focusing on what's happening right here in front of me, you know, because yeah. um, I'm, so my mind Thinking is ahead. so much living in this kind of visionary world that we want to create and relating to others. I, I just, I guess, naturally thought that everybody functions that way or everybody thinks that way. And I learned that- right.
0: That's not true. Not everybody thinks that way. <laughs> That's right. You're about 10%, to be honest, Joel. <laughs> From a recruiter, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, learning
1: that, that people... And the other piece is that I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't realize that about myself. And I now it seems mm-hmm. very clear to me. I was always starting things and always creating things. Um, but I kind of had this idea that everybody was like that. I thought, you know, everybody right. can do pretty much anything. Cause you know, I built our first website and I developed the marketing right. materials and I did the speaking right. and I did the accounting. And you know, you, when you're an entrepreneur and you're starting something, you have to do everything, but that just came very naturally to me. And so when we started hiring, I kind of just had this thought, well, well, I'll hire somebody that's smart and, and they can <laughs> do anything. And that's not, that's not true. <laughs>
0: Right, right. Where, did you do entrepreneurial things as a kid? Was there you know, the paper route or other types of things that you did that, that began to develop even earlier on and when you were in kind of single digits or early double-digit ages?
1: You um, know, I did. <clears throat> I, right. uh, I did the paper route. I also started... Uh, lawn mowing, you know, I, I mowed lawns, but I, I, I went kind of the extra mile. Like I did marketing for my lawn mowing and that type of thing. But then in ministry in particular, I was always found myself in kind of entrepreneurial ministry, uh, situations in which we, we started a traveling ministry team where I did the speaking, wow. somebody else did the music and we had skits. And then even in college, uh, I always seemed to be starting things, um, to do, yeah, to try new things.
0: That's great. And where did you go with that uh, that speaker's route? Where is it? To other churches, other communities? Did you go internationally?
1: Well, in college, I did a lot of speaking in churches and retreats mm-hmm. and things like that. But um, when I got into full-time ministry, I knew I wanted to speak to those who aren't Christians. I wanted to share the gospel mm-hmm. with those who aren't familiar yeah. with it. And one kind of type of speaking engagement that I'd been getting requests for was school assemblies, public school assemblies. Mm. And so I thought, well, that's a great opportunity. But I I was under the impression I couldn't share the gospel in school, in the school assemblies. It needed to be kind of faith neutral. And so we developed a very simple strategy of doing a daytime school assembly on character education, decision-making, and then inviting students to come back at night when it was optional to an evening concert and outreach where we could share the gospel. And and that was the strategy we honed. And that's the strategy we used for a, uh, a dozen years. And in fact, it grew yeah. into a speakers bureau. And now we have a variety of teams using the same strategy.
0: That's awesome. And just out of curiosity, what kind of a, you know, callback would you get? You know, would it be, of the people that would attend during the day that would come back and half or, or, you know, less or what kind of a response rate did you typically get? Yeah. It really depended on the day and then have the night.
1: Right. It it depended on the kind of school. I mean, the smaller rural communities you'd, have many more because right. uh, there you know not as much going on in town. <laughs> and <laughs> It was something uh, to do on a Wednesday night, right? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. And so we would often see around two hundred or so students, al- almost regardless of the size of
0: the school, uh, come back to hear more. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've been doing Lifewise Academy, which we talked about in the introduction for I guess going on close to five years now. Tell us a little bit about kind of the motivation around that. You know how was kind of Christ involved in, in leading to that, and then tell us about your mission.
1: Yes, well, we are very excited about LifeWise and all that's happening. Uh, LifeWise Academy provides Bible education to public school students during school hours, and when people wow. hear that, they often yeah. think that they you know, that that sounds illegal or that sounds crazy
0: or something. <laughs> right. because church and state, right?
1: That's yeah. right. Yeah. People say separation yeah. of church and state. You can't teach the Bible during school hours. And I was among people who said that until I learned back in 2018 is when I learned this, that the Supreme Court has ruled that public school students can receive Bible education, religious instruction during school hours as long as three criteria are met. Number one, it has to be off school property. So you can't teach it, Mm. you know, in the classroom. You have to take kids off school property. Uh, It has to be privately funded. um, No public dollars, no school dollars. And they need parental permission. Um, But if those three things are met, the Supreme court has ruled it's constitutional. Now, 26 States, in fact, have laws on the books specifically about this thing, which is the legal term is released time, religious instruction. I heard in 2018 that my hometown had started one of these programs. I couldn't believe it when I heard it, uh, but they had, and they had started a program that um, they bought a house next to the elementary school. They renovated it to classrooms They started signing kids up and believe it or not, by the third year, they had 95% of the entire elementary school, (laughs) 95% over, over 600 kids enrolled in the course. And they reached out to me in 2018. They said, Joel, we got this incredible program. It's legal. It's making an impact. We can't figure out why there aren't more communities that have this. In fact, almost nobody's even heard of this. And yeah. it was that question that led us to, well, it led us to conclude that there's a lot of barriers to entry to start one of these programs. And so we set out in 2018 to remove those barriers, to create a plug and play program that any community could implement. We launched our first programs
0: in 2019. That's just fabulous. Wow. Yeah, you know, you sent me your book. Thank you. I haven't had a chance to read through it all, but I had that same sort of are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> this goes on. And right. and so where do you meet for that? Is it a community center, a boys girls club, the YMCA, you know, how, how does that kind of work or can it just be any adjacent building, you know, near the school?
1: Yeah, it really can be a variety of buildings. We see, you know, everything you could imagine being used. We see sometimes like in my hometown where a renovated home is used. Other times a brand new structure is built specifically for this purpose. A lot of times there's a nearby church or there's a nearby YMCA or community center, or sometimes a storefront is uh, is leased. And a lot of times it is a an adjacent walkable property, but more often than not, we pick kids up in a shuttle in a, in a bus and we bus yeah. them, you know, to a nearby, something, maybe a mile down the road. Um, and
0: what we're finding is that there's a lot of ways to do it and where there there's a will, there's a way. Is it typically after school? Is it during lunch break when, before school or, or, or all of the above? Well, the key is that it is during school hours um,
1: yeah. that, yeah. And, and that's oftentimes people hear all this and they say, "Oh, is it before or after school?" We say, "No, that that's what is uni- So uniquely, unique about it yeah. uh, makes it a unique opportunity that kids are already there, and so we're not competing with extracurriculars. We're not dealing with the fact that a lot of kids ride the bus home. They're on. They're in school. They're in learning mode, and they have an opportunity. They can leave. Uh, to to learn the Bible. Uh, Sometimes it's during a kind of a lunch recess type of time, but usually it's on a rotation in the same way that kids get art class once a week, gym class once a week, and it kind of rotates through the grades, rotates through the the classes. There's a a schedule is developed in which students can opt in. And when it's their time on the rotation is when they get to go to LifeWise. Yeah, awesome. And how many employees now? How many communities do you serve? Well, as of this moment, uh, well, we're finishing the school year now. We served 133 yeah. schools across four wow. states with just over five hundred employees when you consider local directors, local teachers, as well as our central staff. But we are already confirmed to be in more than double that. We're confirmed in two hundred and eighty-six schools. <laughs> for this next school year but that number is literally changing daily In uh a day yeah yeah a week ago it was it was 10 fewer so that that number will continue to climb will likely serve over 300 schools um and our staff and you know will also more than double so this time next year will be
0: well over a thousand staff members across more 10. than 10 states Congratulations. That's awesome. And of those 500 employees, are some of them volunteers? Are they all on payroll? Do you have independent contractors? What's kind of the construction of that?
1: Almost all those are on payroll. Um, wow. some, some people function as independent contractors that might be included in that number. However, we have Certainly. a an army of volunteers that, that are not in that number. So for every wow. one really? staff person, we probably have another five or so volunteers at the local levels.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And what's your vision nationwide, globally, you know, where 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 is uh, LifeWise going over time? Yeah.
1: yeah, we say why not. Why not nationwide? Um yeah. I, you know, this the Supreme Court ruling applies coast to coast uh, and yeah. so and so yeah, we say why not. Our initial vision was to serve it's almost funny to say now. It was to serve 25 schools by 2025. <laughs> and wow. here we are wow. in 2023. <laughs> yeah, we did, sure did blow it away. And so we quickly redrew that goal and said, okay, well, let's try to serve a thousand schools by 2026. Um, we are well outpacing even that. Uh, but Gosh. yes, as you indicated, the long-term vision is is every community, uh, you know, what, what community would we not want to see students taught the Bible? Well, there isn't one. So
0: let's try to serve every community in the country. I love it. Well, Christ is obviously really blessing you with that. What, what's kind of the format? Um, is it kind of a more a Sunday school approach? Do you go through the Bible? Is it a, is it an evolving curriculum? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I love this question because we so love our curriculum and we so love what students are taught. We have a licensing agreement with a wonderful curriculum called the Gospel mm. Project, mm. and it takes students through the entire Bible. So our typical class is grades or a typical program is grades one through five. And so students will typically start in Genesis in first grade. And by the time they finish fifth grade, they've gone all the way through the Bible through revelation. And every lesson has a threefold focus. We talk about the head, the heart and the hands. So the head, Mm -hmm. what is the information in the Bible story? Let's get the information in our heads. Now heart, how does that apply to our heart? How does it point to the bigger picture of the gospel message of Jesus who came to save us? And then hands, how does that change what we do? How does it transform our character? Mm-hmm. And we, um, and students, I tell you what, they soak it up like sponges. <laughs> they're so <laughs> hungry for this. They want, um, they want to know why they're here. They want to know yeah. about God. And, uh, it's just exciting to see the impact.
0: And, um, you know, on average, what kind of percentage participation do you get from kids in public schools? Well, it varies. Uh,
1: there's a great variance um, The by the suburban and the urban communities, they start much smaller and then grow over time. And so mm-hmm. we have one urban uh, school that started with just 16 kids in the program. But by mm-hmm. the end of the school year. They were serving more than 250 kids
0: in the school. Oh my gosh.
1: Wow, what <laughs> and, a blessing. That's oh, it's awesome. it's just just incredible. And I believe that school district is the place in Ohio that has the most first languages spoken. It's of any school. It's a very, very diverse mm. wow. school. Um but then our rural communities will start much usually higher. with a much higher percentage. Again, kind of like when we were doing this the uh, events that You can just hit critical mass a lot faster in rural communities. Word spreads a bit um, more quickly. There aren't as many distractions. And so it's not uncommon to see 50, 60, even higher percent of students. Uh, We have one community in Northwest Ohio that there's a 1,000 students in the elementary school. Over 900 of them are in LifeWise. (laughs) Uh, 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 That is great. And that's still, that's at grades 1 through 5. And that's grades 1 through 5. But we do serve... The older grades as well. We just usually don't start there. We'll start at elementary right. and then expand into the higher grades. So we do have some programs that serve all the way K through
0: twelve. That's fabulous. Just shifting gears a little bit. You know, you mentioned earlier about you know what you had to learn about leadership. You know, now you're four or five years into that. What what, what do you think has kind of been the most significant leadership lesson you've learned, or maybe a leadership style that you've had to evolve or change over time?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have been learning so many lately. Um, One is that I personally hire to my weaknesses. Uh, It's been Mm -hmm. learning about myself and realizing uh, what are the things that uh, I'm good at, sure, but what are the things I'm not? I need to hire there, and I need to trust others. Um, and, And my leadership has really it's evolved quickly because we've grown so quickly. I mean, we just started this in
0: 2019. Sure. And here know. we are we've now at 500 employees. plus all the volunteers? My goodness. Oh yes. <laughs> a and big and so le- and, and uh, yeah, most learning, of that time has been during COVID, <laughs> right?
1: A lot so, of it was a lot of it was, yeah. um, yeah. So learning to let go, that's, that's been a hard mm. um, thing for me as an entrepreneur, somebody that wants to do everything. Um, sure. Learning that when I hire somebody and I put someone into a position that I need to trust them in that position and I need yeah. to cast a vision, but then I do need to um, give them that responsibility. And I have a mentor now who's said to me, he said, Hey, Joel, you know, you're used to being on the field, but you need Mm -hmm. to learn to be a bit off the field. You need to learn to be ultimately responsible for everything, but as soon as you can be directly responsible for nothing. And inching Mm -hmm. my way, I'm not there yet, but inching my way to that Mm -hmm. reality has been a lesson.
0: How do you interview and hire to find the people that uh, you want to (laughs) invest? Yes.
1: Good question. Um, I like to hear people tell their story and, I like to, um, listen to hear if, to see if I hear somebody that is one of us, you know, that, Mm. that is manifesting our core values. We use the two core values of commitment and competence that commitment, Mm. having the, the heart pieces in place that you're, doing the things for the right reasons, the gospel's at the center, Um, you're hardworking, you know, you're self-sacrificing, all those things, but also competent, that we're strategic and we're innovative and we're problem-solving. And so I want to hear those things come out in their story. I I don't want to – if I hear their story and I don't really hear that they're making decisions for the sake of the Mm -hmm. gospel, then then that's probably not the right fit. If I'm hearing their story and I'm not really hearing – about times they've innovated or they've solved problems, um, then it's, it's probably not the right fit.
0: Do you have a favorite interview question that you use often? If so, what is it?
1: I, sometimes I like to ask, why should I not hire you? Hmm. Yeah. And, and (laughs) here, yeah, it does. And, and I get some really interesting things, you know, people, I, I guess it's another version of what's your greatest weakness, but um, but asking them to convince me not to hire them. Sometimes people will be very transparent and they'll say, you know, they'll say yeah. something like, I'm, I'm really nervous. I'm scared that I'll mess it up, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, right. but, but you can, you can, you can usually hear whether people are, whether people are being honest
0: when you ask that one. And authentic, right? You to get That's that right. authenticity. Yeah. Love it. Well, Joel, we're just about out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. Really appreciate it. But we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests, and that's what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that has their eyes on their corner office themselves someday, or perhaps, you know, an entrepreneur like yourself, and they really want to follow their passion? Oh, good question. Um, I would...
1: I would give the, I, oh man, there's so much advice that I would give, but I would tell them to wake up early. I would tell them (laughs) that there's a lot of truth behind the old adage, um, that the early bird gets the worm that, or that, Mm. you know, when people say you're going to have to wake up pretty early in the morning to, you know, get the best of me or whatever, you know, whatever people would say, um, that I've found that there is just this crazy correlation with those who are willing to get up while everyone else is sleeping and to put in the extra thought and to put in the extra time, Mm -hmm. um, that it will set you apart. And so I guess that's a way of saying, be willing to outwork the competition. But to me, it manifests
0: as quite literally wake up very early. Do you start your day with a devotional? Is that kind of how you get things kind of kicked off?
1: Yeah, I like to put the, I like to put scripture in my ear as I'm yeah. um, getting around, getting to the office, driving, usually when it's still dark. I like to have um, my Bible reading in my ear. And then when I get here, I have a couple of different kind of devotional books. Um, actually, a couple of books of Christian poems uh, mm. that that I'll
0: read through that help me to kind of set my day. Awesome. Well, Joel Penton, founder and CEO of LifeWise Academy, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office.
1: Thank you for having me. And if I may quickly plug, I'd, if you're listening and you're interested in LifeWise, I would love to invite everybody to go to lifewise.org. Click find your school and put in your information to find out if there's a LifeWise movement in your area. If not, you could start it by adding your name to the list, just saying, I'd love to bring LifeWise to my area, at lifewise.org.
0: Awesome, Joel. Thank you again. Thank you.